Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Warning, the following content may contain elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, kitties. This is y'all's duly John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And you're listening to Slasher Radio. <laughs> 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 Alright, I'm in mode. Welcome to Slasher Radio. It is Mikey Bones here as always. Thank you for coming back and joining us. We really appreciate that. And I am joined by this man. Yeah, hi. Ooh, hi. Yeah. But we are not joined by a corner pocket. Boo. I gave a real <laughs> one there. I didn't even use the sound of it. That was a real one. Not, not a, I didn't really. Never mind. But we told you we had a fucking banger this week, man. Banger. Banger. We promised it. We told you. We're fucking around now. Fucking I'm really excited for this. Yeah, this and, is going to be great. And it's a Friday. What are we doing? Why is there a Slasher Radio episode coming out on Friday this May? Mmm. Friday the 13th, boy. Happy Friday the 13th, everybody. Happy Friday the 13th. Um, yeah, we got a little bonus episode here. Um, if you followed the show long enough or even went back and looked, you know that we did do a Friday... Did, shit, did we do a Friday the 13th fucking special? <laughs> I think we did. Yeah, we did. We did. A few uh, months ago, yeah. A few, mo- a few months ago. We did that in, like, October. Oh. Yeah. Well... Hmm. Yeah. So here we go. We're we're making up for it here. Friday the thirteenth too. We did miss one. I did. Yeah, we did miss one. Yeah. Yeah. We suck. Sorry <laughs> about that. Shit's not easy to do. Okay. Yeah. Definitely not. Okay. No. Definitely not. Especially somebody like this man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Tell them. Tell them what we got. Remind them what we got. This man. You do it. Tell them. Tell them. Okay. Tell them. This. Friday the 13th, oh. we have Harry Manfredini. Holy the shit. The composer of uh, the Friday, several Friday the 13ths. And, Damn um, near all of them. He's done, yeah, he's done so many films, and so he's got, he, I'm just so excited to talk about all of the stuff he's done. Hills Have movies. Eyes. Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies. West Dam Craven. Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that man? We'd be here a while if we went through everything that that Harry's done. It's a lot, so I don't, I don't think we're gonna get into it at all. So just warn you on that. But yeah, this, this is—I mean, we we brought you 
an original Friday the 13th, you know, part of the creation of the franchise on Friday the 13th. Who the hell else is doing that? We're not sitting here. Slasher Radio is not going to sit here and talk about a Friday the 13th movie. All right. We do a big, grandiose. All right. Well, we go home. We ain't home right now. We ain't home. Go big or go home. That's right. That's right. And we chose to go big, so here we are. Well, that's why Corner Pocket isn't here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, Corner Pocket. I know you listen, bastard. <laughs> that's that's what that that remark a few weeks ago about, or whenever it was. When what did he say? He said something about stuffing at Bobby's house, and I don't forget. Oh, I forget. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no Corner Pocket this week, and we're still rocking and rolling. Oh, and no owl, and you have to do the um. The no, thing. I'm not gonna do it anymore. I told you, I'm no, not, yeah, not doing come it. On. No, come on, no. This is a special episode. You, come all on. you do is say it's bad. No, I won't say anything. I promise, I won't say nothing. Yes, you will. I promise. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. But I want you to know, I know that this means bullshit. I'm not gonna say anything. I promise. Go ahead. Okay, the owl is not here. He has flown the nest, right? <coughs> See? And I'm not going to say anything. Holy shit. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, Bobby's not here, but we miss him. We do miss him. And, uh, Bones did a, did a good, uh, whatever. What do you call that, it's anyway? It's a flutter. What do you call like, you know, when they okay. flap their wings like a son of a bitch oh. when they leave the oh. nest. Like, if something happened abruptly and a mm-hmm. bird would, or, or an owl, more yeah. appropriately, would just flurry out of the nest oh. with a big flutter. Oh, can we can we make that a sound effect then, and just like where we can have it on deck? No. Okay. This is the one thing that I'm not making a sound okay. of. I do that. Okay. All right. Easy. Well, then it's like you have to keep doing it, though. You can't blame me for making you not do it. But you made me not do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I promised I wouldn't say anything, and I didn't. So here we yes. are. We got the the flutter and everything, and so see how long that yeah, lasts. We're 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 on a good track here. Man, you haven't been mean to me yet. 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 Yeah, we got a long episode. Let's get the uh, the shout-outs out of the way, shall we? Mm-hmm. You want me to do them, or? Um, I'd rather you not, because you always ruin them. <laughs> be honest. Be honest. I tried 12 Nights. I tried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can go to 12nightshorror.com, though, because they, mm-hmm. are, they are pretty badass. 12 Nights. They just got themselves a new logo, and... They're looking sexy over there, 12 mm-hmm. minutes long. Great logo. Mm. Great, Ray. Hey, get your finger out of there! But, uh, <laughs> you can go to 12nightshorror.com, you can go to promotehorror.com, you can go to horrormoviesandstuff.com. All legitimate sources for everything horror and upcoming stuff and past stuff and anniversaries. And, yeah, we talk about them every week, you guys know. Uh, you can also use the SlasherPod promo code if you want to go on Shutter and get yourself 30 free days. So, uh, get up on that while you can. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, and our website. Um, well, still, still working on it. Still rocking and rolling on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Slash com. Run tell that. <laughs> yep. Which will be updated soon. So, you know, we're still, we'll, we'll be moving some things around here. Um, I've been soon. lazy. Guys, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he has. I, yeah, I have. But there's a lot. It, summer's hard, honestly. Mm. Summer's hard when, you, when it's cold as shit outside, 
and you chilling in the house, it's not that hard to edit audios and, you know, throw shit and fuck with a website. I'm sure everybody sees all the pictures of your barbecues and the pool and everything else, so they don't feel sorry for you. That Mikey's dead on Twitter. I, I killed the barbecue game, man. <laughs> Oh my god, I made lemon chicken a few weeks ago. Oh, me. It was good. It was good. <sighs> yeah, so mm. that's what he's doing when he's not working on our website and whatnot. Mwah! Delicious. Mm-hmm. Spectacular. I throw some ribs, I throw some meat around on that grill now. <laughs> Fuck around, find out. The meat. Yeah, yeah, okay. Hit me up. You think you, you, you can top me in the grill game? Hit me up. At Mikey's Dad on Twitter. I'll, I'll show you some things. Mm-hmm. Are we going to do another poll? You don't want to do another poll. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not. Let's avoid that. <laughs> I feel bad at this point. No, I'm not. I mean, I don't have any barbecue games, so that's all you. So I wouldn't be losing end on this one because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this one. What else's do? Mm. 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 Should we give it to him? Sure. Think they want it? Yeah. Think they want it? I think they gotta want this one, man. Yeah. Definitely want this one. Mm. Alright, let's give it to him. Harry Manfredini, everybody. Enjoy. We'll see you on the other end. The other end. (laughs) Sounds bad. (laughs) Mind me not to say that anymore. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Fuck. (laughs) I mean, the damage is done. You already said it, so what am I supposed to do? Okay, um, to be honest, I really don't know how to introduce you other than, in my opinion, the greatest composer of all time in film, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> you gotta go see more films. <laughs> Touche, that that's a great answer to that. Uh, we have Harry Manfredini, everybody, um, a legend in our eyes and so many other people. Uh, sir, how are you doing? I'm doing real fine. It's a lovely evening here. Great, great. I'm glad to hear that. Obvious question would be, how did you kind of get your start into composing? Because it's kind of an unsung hero for the most part in films, I feel. Um, yeah, I guess it can be that way. Uh, there, there are some who are pretty much sung heroes, I guess, if that's a term. Uh the the odd the odd thing is it took me a long time to get started. I uh, I always I, I tell the story because it's true. But I, for some reason or other, I always wanted to score films from the time I was like a little kid. I think there's something about watching movies that the music really spoke to me. Uh, my family, no one really played instruments except myself, but they were musical. And, you know, my father was in Italian, Italian opera, uh, Puccini and Verdi and stuff like that. And my brother was involved with uh, progressive jazz. He loved that 
Stan Kenton and that kind of stuff. So I was raised hearing all that. And, and I, my mother and I watched a lot of movies and the music just spoke to me. And I used to think about, I want to do that, but it took me forever to a learn enough and b uh, lose the fear of actually taking that shot and doing it. But uh, eventually it happened, and when the door opened, I I ran in. I went point of, you know, you. I was in New York. Well, I mean, I'm jumping all over the place, but I was in New York and trying getting my doctorate at Columbia uh, in music, and um, the kind of the recording business reopened uh, for me. Uh, when I was 15 and 16, I was playing in a band in Chicago and playing record dates and all sorts of stuff. But then I went off to um, school and started to learn, <laughs> started <laughs> to learn more about music at, rather than just playing it and uh, uh, sort of stopped uh, doing anything like that. But back when I was in New York, that happened. And a friend of mine named Bill Ramel who was got me started, took me under his wing and I started doing record dates and and before you know it I was doing jingles and I was doing all this stuff and oddly enough a uh, film film opened up to me and uh and that was the so I just followed that path, which is something like I said, something that I always wanted to do. Um, who was your biggest musical influence growing up? Did you have any composers that you looked up to, you know, back in the day? Well, yeah, you know, when you say back in the day, that's a funny, that's a funny line. How old are you, uh, April? I want to, um, I want to find out what back in the day means to you. I'm, I'm 29. 29. Oh wow, back in the day, huh? He's <laughs> <laughs> way back there in the 80s. Uh, and, yeah. Well, growing up like to your college years, you know. No, no. Well, you know what? Like I said, when I was when I was very young. Uh, it was Puccini and um, uh, Verdi and stuff like that, Italian opera and progressive jazz. But when when I got to college, uh, I went to DePaul University in Chicago and was a music major. And all at once, I the guys that I hung with there, they introduced me to Stravinsky and Bartok and and all the you know all the the great composers. Uh, contemporary composers and the uh, lights went on in my head and I went, holy uh, crap, holy, Go holy for it. smoke. I've <laughs> got, a, I've got a lot to learn <laughs> and basically locked myself into a music library and sat there with scores and listened over and over and over to these pieces because I just felt like, man, this, what I thought was the end of music or the, you know, the most amazing music I had ever heard was nothing compared to what was being written. I mean, The Rite of Spring was written in, what, 1912. (laughs) You know, that was was 80 years ago. So, I mean, those are all influences on me. Even uh, film composers as well. Obviously, you know, Bernard Herrmann is you know, an influence mm-hmm. on anybody. If you're going to write a, if you're going to write a film score, uh, you probably somehow or other uh, Bernard, you're going to do something that Bernard Herman uh, may have uh, 
been the innovator of, even though you may not be copying him, you might be copying somebody else who copies him. But, uh, you know, that Bernard Herman and Rosa and Newman and, and all those and all those guys. And let me see, when I first started, Jer- uh, Jerry Goldsmith, of course. Uh, but uh, there was there was a couple of, you know, Crigliano. I mean, I'm, in, I'm into all kinds of music. I'm, I'm all over the place. People always ask me what's on your iPod. And I said, you'd be surprised that. Of the variations of kinds of music that I listen to uh, while I'm driving, or you know, just or you know, on the treadmill and things like that. So uh, right. that's I'm how I am too. It depends on the mood, I guess. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just I'm I'm all over the place. I wish I was more like that. I'm very close-minded <laughs> musically, and I try and change that honestly. All right, we're going to change that. Before this is over, I'm going to change your mind. All right, all right. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so I guess we'll go into, um, if you can kind of walk us through how the opportunity came about for you to um, score a Friday the 13th film. Well, um, I started it, like I said, I started in New York when I was at Columbia, and uh this fella was letting me do record demos and, and things like that. And, uh, well, one day the engineer at this place said, you know, I have a friend who needs a couple of demos done. And, uh, I said, sure, I'll do those. And uh, I did those. And the owner of, uh, the owner of the studio uh, needed a song and I did a song for him. And so I had three pieces of tape. Anyway, we were mixing one of these uh, demos, just the music track without the vocal. And some guy walks through the hall and said, wow, that sounds like film music. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, well, yeah, I guess it does. You know, it, you know, it was, it was a night kind of song. It was a, I forgot the name of it, but uh, anyway, so uh, he said, would you do a, uh, piece for my film and of course I said yes and I did that anyway and then a friend of mine saw an ad in a paper of oh who's which one of you is in New York uh, I am oh, oh okay there's this thing called backstage I'm sure you've seen this yes. magazine it's yes. like it's a showbiz uh, mm-hmm. magazine and it said composer needs assistant and hmm. someone said you know you should you should uh, you know uh, Take a look at that. So, and it was a it was film composer and his assistant. Anyway, it was a fellow named Arlen Ober, and Arlen and I, I I walked in with my three pieces of tape, and some music that I had written at Columbia just on paper, and he said, "Wow, that's really cool. Uh, here, orchestrate this piece for these instruments tomorrow. Let me see what you do." So I went home. I the orchestration I came in the next day and he looks at it and he goes, yeah, this is really good. Okay, here, do these three. You know, so I did those three. Hmm. And before you know it, I'm, I'm working with this guy and we had done short films and things, uh, children's films and, and things like that. And and one year, uh, this was probably, it probably was two years that I worked with him. We were doing all kinds of things. Uh, and I was... I was a conducting major, believe it or not, at uh, Columbia. So hmm. I uh, 
I, I was conducting in, in, in studios and doing all kinds of things and playing and did all sorts of stuff. Anyway, uh, one year we happened to score two short films, one of which won Best Dramatic Short Film. It was, you know, 10 minutes long. Uh, and, and it won the Academy Award. And then we we also scored the Best Documentary that, uh, uh, that won the Academy Award. And Arlen moved to California. I stayed in New York. And it was at that point I realized I had no I had no connections other than the, the ones I had with Ireland. And so everything really kind of came to a grinding halt. And one day, uh, uh, phone rang in the office and someone said, uh, are you the guys that, uh, scored angel and big Joe? That was the name of the, the, um, film with, it was Paul Sorvino movie, very young Paul Sorvino. Um, uh, yeah, and he, oh, we have a short. Would you like to score? I'm sure, you know, I'll score it. So we, we, I did this movie for them, and he said, I know a guy in Connecticut who's doing a kids film. Would you like to you like to meet me to meet him? I, of course, you know. So he introduces me to this guy named Sean Cunningham, who mm-hmm. uh, we did a picture called Here Come the Tigers, which was sort of like the Bad News Bears. And then we did another movie called Kick, which was uh, at the time in the late 70s when soccer was trying to uh, make a uh, its, its footprint here in the United States and didn't go over well. But anyway, we did a, a kid's soccer movie. And then one day, just sitting in the kitchen in Connecticut, Sean says to me, I'm going to do a movie called Friday the 13th, and you're going to score it. It's going to be really scary. And I go, okay, fine. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's how I got the picture. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It just, it just happens. That. Right. Yeah. It just, things just happen. You're, you're in the right place at the right time. That's all, you know, the business is literally you do something for somebody and that leads you to the next, the next project. Right. Know? Now, when um, you had mentioned Sean Cunningham was kind of just, you know, saying, oh, it's going to be great. So he was that enthusiastic, even in the idea stage of all this. Right. He had just uh, gotten the idea that he was going to do that. He, uh, uh, if you you ever listen to his story, basically he had an idea to do a movie called Friday the 13th. He thought it was a cool idea. He didn't have a script. He didn't have anything. All he had was an idea for a title. And some people just based on that title said, Hey, we're interested in this movie. Uh, we will give you $500,000 to make it. And so off he went, you know, and, and made the movie and I scored it. You know, I, no one knew it was going to turn into, believe me, no one had any the slightest idea it was going to turn into what it's, you know, what it's become. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing just sitting there having an idea and all these decades later and they're you know, flying, they're flying through the air all the time. They are. It's got to be, uh, you know, you, you got to see it through. I, you know, I feel some of them, you know, yeah, you've got to, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you want to hear, a, a, this is an anecdotal story, not about Friday the 13th. Okay. Uh, when, when we were at Columbia, this, this was in conducting class and Bill Ramal, like I said, the guy who got me started, who was a big record producer in New York. 
we were both in conducting class together and uh, there was a little orchestra that's there and everybody in class gets to go and conduct the orchestra and the rest of the class just sort of stands in the back and sort of mimes conducting, you know, you, Mm -hmm. you make off like you're in charge of conducting, but the person up there is conducting and everybody gets a chance anyway. So we're doing the Mozart G minor symphony, uh, which I don't mm. know how closed in you are in your music, <laughs> but it's the one that goes. Anyway, anyway, and I, I looked over at Bill and I don't know why, cause it was the height of disco at the time. And I, I went, and he looked at me and he goes, oh my God, classical disco. It's a great idea. He goes, let's, let's let, meet me, you know, meet me in the, in the uh, uh, cafeteria after class, you know. So we go to the cafeteria. We decide that the only, the only piece that everybody knows is not the G minor symphony, but of course, the Beethoven fifth. Mm-hmm. So over the, over the weekend, we get together and I do a, a chart an arrangement of the Beethoven fifth disco. And he books the studio for Monday morning. Okay. And I'm driving over the George Washington bridge with the score and things in my front seat sitting next to me. And on the radio comes, here's a new song by Walter Murphy called a fifth of Beethoven. But I don't know. Then I went, Oh my God. There it is. It's already out. You know, we canceled the recording session and, and right. everything. But there it is. That that idea was flying through the air, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and and Walter Walter grabbed onto it first. Good right. for him. <laughs> you know, I've I've been in music pretty much all my life too. I was in band in high school. I played the flute, and um, you know, so I've always wow. had a love for all kinds of different types of music kind of like you i like everything you know under the sun um so i'm I'm interested to hear if you can take us um through a quick rundown of the process that you go through from creating a score from start to finish okay uh there some of them are different than others um and let's see Typically with a horror film, I don't like to read the script and I, I, I would rather just see the picture assembled. Um, I, I, unless the script is really far off in the distance of being made out by that time, I'll have probably read 50 other scripts and it will, it won't matter, but I want to, I want to see the picture to really get the feeling of what the audience is going to get the first time they see it. Cause they're only good to see it once. I'm going to get to see it hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. So I want to try to get a feeling of what's working, what's happening and stuff like that. Um, when I was a kid, like we go back to when I was a kid, I mean, I always heard music in my head. I, everything I played, whatever I was playing, I heard music. I, I scored everything I did sort of in my head. So rarely am I not uh, aware of some idea of what I might want to do. So, and the important thing to understand is that there's a big difference between 
a, compo- a music composer and a film composer. A film composer is sometimes 90% dramatist mm-hmm. and not so much composer. And then sometimes you you know, you you get a chance to really compose, but most of the time you're trying to tell the story. You're trying to help, you know, do what the director wants you to do, uh, understand what the writer was trying to convey, and you're trying to manipulate the audience just like they are as well into you know having the experience that you know that's that was intended. So. Um, Typically, what I do is um, I I guess I I, I do this. I, I create a bunch of bricks. I, I'll call them bricks. They're the things that I'm going to make the score out of. Um, sometimes they're just fragments of melody. They might be some sort of uh, chord. I, I don't want to call them a chord. Let's call it a sonority notes that come together. I may have an idea what instrumentation I hear. I may have an idea of of certain aspects of the story. Um, Like, for example, typically something happens in real one or real two that is going to happen in real five and then eventually pays off in real seven. And then in real nine, there's the actual completion of it. So a lot of times I look for those kinds of things in the script, in the story, and try to make sure that I have something for those important, uh, you know, fence posts, you know, lampposts uh, right. uh, that, that occur in the story. Sometimes it's character. Sometimes it's uh, it's just an element. It, it it's everything is different. I mean, every movie has its own uh, you know place to go. Uh, also, you know, sometimes it's a color. Sometimes it's really just a color. It's not even a uh, a, a piece of music. It's some sort of color that that, that occurs. Um, and, I, and typically, I always try to come up with some one thing in every movie, no matter what it is, that's really only in that movie. That is something that I've created, a sound, a uh, an element of the score that's really <laughs> a particular to that particular film. Um, but it's not always that, you know, with horror films, like I say, it's one way, but in a drama, you still have the same thing, but there, uh, you know, I, I don't, I like to read the script and I like to, uh, get the feeling, uh, of what's necessary, uh, in terms of emotions and, and a comedy, the same sort of thing. I mean, how do you, uh, how do you make something funny? I mean, do you hit it right on the you know, Mickey Mouse, they call it Mickey Mouse it, you know, where mm. you're hitting everything. Or sometimes what you do is you get out of the way and let the joke happen and then come in after the joke. It, 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 you you get a feeling for how the, the, we're back to the word drama, how the drama, whether it's comedy or, or, or horror or making someone cry, when, when does that, when do, when do I want the audience to feel the joke or the crying or the scare or whatever it is. I, I try to 
manip- manipulate them. I mean, sometimes in a horror film, it, I think if you watch a horror film enough, what, at least when I score it, quite often I will I will make the music go out before something happens. I'll try to get the audience to relax before I, you know, scare them. Yeah. Uh, or, or, and sometimes, and sometimes I, I go right for it. It's, it's, it, it all, you know, it's all in whatever the story or the way the picture goes. So I don't, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of rambling here, but. Uh, no, this is I great info. Made, I like, yeah. yeah, I like to hear how, you know, um, cause that's one thing I noticed is that, your scores for the, you know, the Friday 13th series, like, um, for example, the original Friday 13th versus your score for Jason goes to hell, uh, are very right. different, but, um, was it difficult to create this different atmosphere, but still keep the original feel and style of Friday the 13th? Well, uh, yeah, th- that's a good question. And the, the answer is, uh, there are elements that never changed from, and they, I, you know, I've been working on a game, and uh, even the elements are still there. The elements from the very first film are always present in every one of those. Uh, what, what's what's sort of, um, and I always I always bring this up when people ask me, well, how did you how do you keep it going, or how do you do this, or how do you do that? And I go, well, one of the cool things about these pictures is that they're far enough apart that invariably I get some new piece of gear. <laughs> it's a mm. new synth or it's a, a new set of samples or I found something or I found this or I found that. And I go like, Oh wow, I can do that. You know? Right. And all at once that becomes, I work that particular sonority or sound or color, whatever it is into into the uh, the original set of bricks, you'll excuse, from Friday the 13th. And uh, like, for example, when you say Jason Goes to Hell, that was a, a rather wild and crazy uh, mm-hmm. film in that Jason is jumping from one person to the other. And, and uh, uh, if you listen to that, uh, uh, <clears throat> quite often you hear... Uh, voices screaming out and their samples of voices and screaming mm-hmm. out, which do not a- appear in any other film, but because I'm thinking voices from hell and I saw that, mm. you know, the scene where the, at the end where the hands come out of the grave and, you know, and, and Jason's being pulled down. And so that, that I, I tried to create a, uh, those voices uh, as being sort of like, demons from hell or something i'm not quite sure how to describe it but that that particular set of sounds are conspicuous only to uh that part nine uh jason goes to hell whereas obviously we get into jason x where now we're 500 years in the future and everything else is different now we have new new stuff to add but at the same time still in qu- building it off of the materials that still um, you know, have the gr- the grounding in part one. 
Isn't it funny? I just thought about it. I just called it part one. There never is a film that's called part one. There's really not. Because no one knows. No, no one knows that there's going to be a part two. Right. You know? <laughs> no. So I get the original. Maybe I should say instead of yeah. part one. Yeah. But I've had people, um, you know, who aren't so much into the horror genre and i have you know on my phone like themes and and scores that are done from all different movies uh, in the horror genre and i've had people go oh wait a minute that one you know someone edited that one that's not the the thing i'm like no this is the one from this movie and like you know it's just such a small detail that means so much to the i i think the longevity also where you know every aspect of it is kind of evolving instead of you know, one or two things is kind of the whole movie moves along from top to bottom. Well, what happened, you know, what happened uh, fortuitously for all involved um, in part one, you see, there, we're back to drama again. There's a dramatic issue that had to be, that had to be addressed immediately. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the dramatic issue is that you never see the killer until real nine. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I had to figure out. Well, how the hell am I going to? How, how's the audience supposed to know the the killer as opposed to the cameraman? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got when the killer's there. There's one thing. When it's the cameraman, it's you know it's different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after thinking about it, I we I had to come up with something that said this is the killer. You know, we're, we're, you're now, you're, it's P-O-V-U. You are the killer now, you know. And so that's where I came up with, uh, you know, that. Mm. And so that every time that happened, it became, the, every everyone in the audience goes, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And eventually, you know, uh, Betsy Palmer shows up and, uh, you know, we have Mrs. Voorhees. And, and then we figure that part out. But it was a dramatic thing that was necessary. But the, the weird thing about it is that by doing that, the score, because we minimalize the score, there's actually very little music in uh, uh, Friday the 13th, the original, as opposed to part <laughs> one, the original. There's, there's only like 45 or 50 minutes of music of music. In that in that film, which for a horror picture is very little, right. I mean mm-hmm. horror pictures is 75, 80, 80 minutes of music, you know. But uh, and what happened was the music became a character. Right. It actually was. It was like, uh oh, there's the guy, you know. There's mm-hmm. the there's the, there's the killer. The music became the killer, and that was one of the decisions that I made was that. There was only going to be music for the killer, no matter mm-hmm. whatever else happened. We were going to ignore or just let it happen, and only the killer is going to have music. And with the exception of two places in that movie, uh, uh, one for Crazy Ralph, uh, you know, you're all doomed, mm-hmm. that guy. And then, of course, the ending uh, piece, the uh, uh, Adrian and the boat. Um, other than that, there was only music for the killer and or, you know, the fight or whatever, the killings. But it was only for that so that the music really became a character. You know, I mean, I could 
show you places. I'm sure you know the movie pretty well. You know, at the very beginning when uh, uh, the owner, uh, not the owner, the guy who was opening the camp, uh, mm-hmm. Steve. Steve, he's he's hammering up a, a, a water uh, trough around the side of the building. What do they call those? Uh, anyway, he's he's working on the roofing, and he's up on a ladder, and Adrian King is sitting there, and she shows him a picture, and of him, and she goes, and he goes, "Do I look like that?" And she and she said, "You did last night," and he just walks away. He he walks away and sort of like touches her cheek, you know. I mean, in any other movie, you would have some sort of oh, there's something going on there kind mm-hmm. of music. But no, I no music. No music. It just happened. And the mm-hmm. same thing happened where the... Uh, I, why do I, I forget these kids' names. Um, Bart, Bart, Bart from... Lori Bartram, I think that's her name. She's passed away. The girl who was setting up the... Uh, uh, the uh, archery thing Mm -hmm. and then the goofy guy with the indian hats on shoots the arrow right into the bullseye while she's setting it up you know and again in any in most horror films there would have been a musical sting the size of pittsburgh Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there was absolutely nothing because it wasn't the killer I mean, so that's why I'm saying is that some people say like, well, that's one of the, I think one of the reasons that the music was so successful in that picture and subsequently sort of became what it's become is that the music actually became a character. You know, it it was, it was a person. Right. Uh, Not just, not just underscore. It existed for a reason, for sure. And hearing you explain, obviously you felt something, but hearing it broken down like that just makes so much more sense. Right. Well, you know, I and a lot of people always ask me, like, well, that sounds like, some of it sounds like Bernard Herman. And I go like, well, hey, you're doing a horror picture. How can you not sound like Bernard Herman? <laughs> but, but, I mean, actually... Uh, there's a composer named Penderecki, and it, it looks like Penderecki when you pronounce see it. Maybe, April, maybe you you would know it, but speaking of opening up your ears to listening to other stuff, mm-hmm. now listen to some Penderecki, and you go like, "Oh, that's where those guys get those ideas," you know, <laughs> because that's 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 a, a, a classical composer that I was listening to at the time. I was doing Friday the 13th and stole, uh, borrowed, uh, emulated a lot of uh, a lot of things that I got from him, which is actually where I got the idea for the voice too. Uh, be, be, besides, uh, besides Mrs. Voorhees, that close up of her mouth where she says "Killer mommy, killer mm-hmm. mommy," uh, I I I got the idea, the dramatic idea from a piece of Penderecki. And uh, also, I would, at the time I was listening to Jerry Goldsmith's score, I think it was, I think it was, what was it called again? But the body parts they were selling. Tom, uh, no, it wasn't. It was, it was 
Genevieve Bougeau. Anyway, it was a Jerry Goldsmith score that I was studying. Uh, the name will come up. It'll come to me when I'm not thinking, trying to think of it. <laughs> but so, I mean, there's a lot of Jerry Goldsmith. There's a lot of uh, Penderecki and, and that kind of stuff that really came, you know, that I was hearing in my head, along with Stan Kenton, of course. My brother always says to me, I hear Stan Kenton in everything you write. I go, really? Everything? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, most people, there's a couple of music editors say, I always know your music. There's there's always something a little funny in there, even though when you're trying to be, you know, a certain way, there's something that's, you know, ironic or a little, you know, maybe uh, sarcastic or something. I don't know. I don't know. If you say so. I, I, just, I mean, you your know. scores are really powerful, but, you know, the dynamics that you add, you know, to the piece gives them that unique and dramatic feel to them. But I, I love the style of music that you did for the Choker, the Choker film in 2005. Um, how did wow. you like creating those catchy, like, electronic style sequences? Right. That was that was a fun movie to do. Um uh, what I really like because it was jazzy, it was jazzy, uh, and also uh, the uh, lonely uh, flugelhorn solo who became the the main character. You know, he was alone all the time, uh, and he was a killer. And uh, it, it's a kind of a kind of a difficult uh, uh, film to explain, but it's it's a fun movie, a really good movie to to watch. Um, and, uh, again, again, I mean, there's, there's interesting sounds in there that I never had before. As a matter of fact, I just trying to think, uh, there were a few places where, um, I used actually a, uh, samples of a hot water tank. Everybody has one, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the big thing. Uh, there was some guy who made a whole bunch of samples of just drumming on a hot water tank. And yeah. he had the mic. In. Sometimes the mic was inside. Sometimes, the mic, you know, he had all different sounds that you could make by whacking a right. hot water, hot water tank. And I used it as a percussive element in that, uh, in that score. I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you. April, I don't get to talk. I don't get to talk about that score enough. It's, I know. I, it's I love one of my fa- It's one of my favorites. Right. And it's the the favorites. sounds you're talking about give it such a, like a more unique feel to it, you know, because uh, you know all these different sounds that you're talking about are not something that you could, you know, get out of just anything. Those yeah, are yeah. It's some, not a tom. It's making. not a tom or a, a snare drum or anything right. like that. It's it, it's it's very. Uh, what's the word that the word of the year, uh, organic. It's very right. organic. Right. <laughs> As opposed to inorganic, which I have no <laughs> idea what that sounds like. <laughs> but, uh, uh, anyway, yeah. Well, thank you. Boy, I can't believe you. I, I'm proud of you, April. You're my new, <laughs> I'm your new biggest fan. <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. So it's a feelings mutual. <laughs> another, uh, another project. I don't, I don't feel gets, um, you know, it, it isn't mentioned as much as it should be. Was uh, your work with Wishmaster, and um, I mean, you had you know, everybody was on that. You know, Robert England, yourself, 
Kane Hodder, Wes Craven, Tony Todd, Tom Savini. It's like, you know, the whole Mount Rushmore of horror kind of on one thing. And right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I really, I love your work with that. Cause it was just, it was different than most, you know, the stuff you're really known for with like, you know, Friday the 13th and that stuff. And like April kind of touched on, it really shows your dynamic. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Wishmaster was a lot of fun. Um, there's, there's a couple, I mean, have you, have you listened to, uh, Time Master, the score to Time Master. I don't think I, I have. You should, you should, you should listen to that one. And of course, the House movies were mm-hmm. were right. really fun to do mm-hmm. too. Uh, but uh, Wishmaster was fun, and uh, Bob Bob uh, Kurtzman, the director, who was a special effects guy, and uh, he, you know, he brought me in on the movie, and it was really funny because there were like. 28 producers on that film. I mean, it just seemed like every time we turned around, it was another producer. So we had a meeting uh, one day, and it seemed as though they were lined up in the halls, like one producer at a time. And I was sitting there with Bob and the editor and myself, and it seemed like everybody came in and said, well, we think in this scene you should do this. And I'd go like, oh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh or, 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 and then the next guy would come in now. Now, you know, in this scene, I think, you know, we'd, and, and anyway, what it was over, I mean, it was, it was breakfast. It was after breakfast, you know, we stopped for lunch and then we around three o'clock we were done. But I mean, there were 10 or 12 producers and we, we would come in and have a discussion about, you know, what they wanted or what they didn't want in the film and this and that. And then Kurzman looked at me and was over. He goes, man, I don't know how you sat through that. I was ready to kill those guys. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I said, well, you know, they're the producers, you know, they right. money here. They're putting up money. They want to, they want to be able to express their ideas. And he goes, well, don't listen to any of them. Just do whatever you want. I said, well, well, some of them were actually good ideas. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that they were, they were all great, but there were some good ones. I mean, I had the, try to one one of the uh, one of the things about movies and and this this happens sometimes in TV movies I've done a lot of uh, lifetime movies and and the hallmark movies too and it's a whole lot faster and the producer has a a lot more to say in a movie like that whereas in a feature the director is really the mm-hmm. you know the person more in charge but one of the things that some some people make different mistakes that they make i mean i don't know why i'm bringing this up but uh, someone who's really involved with the movie uh, uh, you talk about like where do you where do you start the music this we're guess what we've gone we're going back to drama Going back to drama again, mm-hmm. and music music has a lot of power, but the most power it has is when does it start, and when does it finish? What happens in between usually is the easy part. Figuring out where to getting it, where the best place to put it is, and how to get it out, sometimes less of a problem, but usually where to start. So. We're, we're we're looking at this movie, and I keep thinking with Simple Shepherd and somebody. And I, I I know it's Simple Shepherd, but um, 
there was a scene and I'm sitting with the producer and I said, I think we should start the music right there. And she goes, she says to me, oh no, you can't start the music there. And I go, why? And she said, because you're giving away that Sybil Shepherd is, uh, is at this other door. There's like two, two doors to this room, uh, to mm. this office. And, and I said, well, no one knows that Sybil Shepherd's right. at the other door. <laughs> and she goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, I said, you know that Sybil Shepherd's at the other door, and I know it too because we've seen this movie the whole 300 times. I said, but somebody's watching it on television. They have no, they're only getting one shot at this, you know? Right. And so what, so what happens is we started here, we get one feeling. And then when Sybil Shepherd shows up at the other door, we get the next feeling. She goes, but aren't you giving it away? And I'm going like, Nobody knows she's there. (laughs) I said, you know, she's there, but she's, but no one else knows. You got to think, you got to look at that movie as if you're seeing it for the first time. Oh, okay. I said, look, I said, let me write it the way I want it. I'll do it. And I said, if you don't like the way it works, just take the music out and then bring the music in when Civil Shepherd comes in. Mm-hmm. You can do that. That that'll work too. But I think this is a better way. I said you can always take it out, but you can't put it in. You know, you can't put it in if it's not there. So let me write it this way, and then uh, we'll see what happens. But a lot of times, uh, I learned that <clears throat> I learned that uh, early on, and I'm going to go way back now. One of the first short films I did uh, before I did even uh, uh, Sean's feature uh, was a movie called The Last Gandhi Dancer. It was a short film and it was uh, it was for a series uh, children's educational film and it was The Last Gandhi Dancer is a, a Gandhi dancer was a guy who worked for the railroads and he he I guess he checked for loose uh, railroad ties and things and walked along the road. And the, the, the way they walked, they called them Gandhi dancers. Anyway, this, this is a guy who's grand, a young boy whose grandfather is dying of cancer, but his grandfather worked for the railroad and he was a Gandhi dancer. And he wanted to take the young boy on a trip uh, before he died to show what it was like on a railroad. And so they go on this railroad and they camp out and all of this stuff. And, and eventually very sad, you know, the grandfather dies. I mean, he's going to die, you know, and, uh, it's very sad, really sweet, very, very sweet film learning how to a young kid learning how to deal with somebody dying mm-hmm. anyway. So uh, a guy named Bert Salzman was the director and we were at New York university. Uh, and you know, there's nothing, nothing more fun than going up in front of a bunch of altruistic college uh, music people and <laughs> film people because they just think, Oh, you know, so, um, um, anyway, so one, one guy goes, asks a question and says, wasn't that music kind of Hollywoody, you know, <laughs> Hollywoody, you know, a, a kind of an adverb, uh, 
you know, and and I and I I was just starting out, and I went, "Oh my gosh, my music's Hollywood." <laughs> you know, I didn't think that. I did, I, did, I understood that it, he didn't mean it in a good way. Oh. And Bert and Bert Salzman stopped the guy, and he goes, he says, "Be very careful, young man." He goes because you're reacting to your reaction, not not uh not not right. What he did was perfect. He goes, but what you did was you reacted to your reaction. You watched this movie and you started to cry. You started to well up. You started to feel something. Mm-hmm. And then you reacted to the fact that you I oh my gosh, I'm feeling sad and I'm feeling you know, like my grandpa, or I, I, I started to feel something, and you reacted to that, going like, "Damn it, this music is making me feel sad." <laughs> See, but what happened was, is actually it did ex- exactly what it was supposed to do, but you were reacting to your reaction, not to what really what the first reaction was. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I learned a lot from that, and you get a lot of. You get that a lot uh, with, uh, uh, I, I do lectures at colleges and stuff, uh, and uh, you get a lot of these kids that are, it's wonderful. I mean, it's nice that they're so uh, excited about everything, but they there's a, I don't know, there's a cynicism sometimes that uh, they don't understand what life is. Writing in college and being in college is not living in, the real world. Mm-hmm. So, that, that's for sure. When you when when you just spent a day and a half writing a cue, and the director comes in and goes like, "What the hell is that crap?" <laughs> <laughs> and you go like, "Oh my god, I just I, I just put twenty twenty three hours on that mm-hmm. crap," you know. The music so. industry is hard in general, and during my time at Fangoria, I was lucky enough to um, manage its music label at the time, and I was able to meet all kinds of indie horror, you know, musicians, um, and, you know, it's, it's the industry itself has become crowded, you know, with the shift to the digital age. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring composers, some of which who you've inspired to begin in the first place? Uh, orthodontia. <laughs> Go into orthodontia. It's a lot of money in that. <laughs> uh, the music, the music business is hard. It's it was hard before, and it, and there's there's parts of it that are easy, and there are parts of it now that are just uh, impossible, and. Uh, there's there's good stuff and bad stuff, and I always I tell them you're living in a you're living in a time where there are movies that you've got as good a chance of scoring as I do or as John Williams does, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, uh, but you better know something, and you better know what you're doing. I said, but right now we're living in a time where, first of all scoring is starting to sound more like a bunch of sound effects than it is mm-hmm. score. Agreed. And and uh, if you have an electrical outlet in your home and a synthesizer and a computer, you pretty much can score a film if you know if you're pretty clever. Uh, 
Right. Uh, any, anybody who has an electrical outlet and a bunch of gear can score a film pretty well. And especially with, you know, what people expect and, and things like that. I mean, they're not, we're excluding the, you know, the, the wonderful, great, big, gigantic scores of, you know, John Williams and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, but, uh, it's amazing. So I, I said, you know, what you've got to do is, you know, you've got to write. You've got to write, and you've got to write music. You got, to, you've got to understand as many styles as you can. Uh, no one cares if you've got an A in counterpoint or mm-hmm. an A in orchestration or an A in anything. It's irrelevant. Uh, and what what they want to do is they they want you know, what they want. If if you can't communicate to the audience what they're trying to communicate, it really doesn't matter. You could have the world's greatest chord progression ever written. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Sometimes one note is the answer. Uh, but uh, you have to, and you have to understand that there are different styles and, Many directors and producers, they can't even speak. They don't know anything about music. I mean, I mean, they know they know what they like and they have a good idea of what they want. But you know, you can't. T- they they're not going to tell you. Well, you know, you should have doubled that with a viola and a and a pitch mm-hmm. and this over here. You know that that's. That's not going to happen. They're not going to tell you what key to be in. They're not going to tell you what melody to write or anything like that. They're going to hear something and they're going to react to it. And it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Uh, But so quite often they'll give you some temp music, which, you know, goes in and and they say, oh, we like this. And uh, can you give us something like that? So you're going to have to be able to deal with any style that comes up, you know, and, uh, sometimes when the, especially like this happens more in television than it does in film, but it does happen in film too. Uh, they fall in love with that temp score and they want, they want you to be as close as you can to that temp score without getting a call from a lawyer, you know, um, so that happens. I mean, I, I kind of like it. Some people don't like it. I, I, I try to find out what, what's in that temp score. That's really saying what they want to be said, you know? Right. And, uh, so that, that's, uh, but that's everybody's choice, you know, and somebody in college, they're going to, you know, they're going to get this temp score and go, well, I want to compose what I want to compose. Well, fine. Uh, and Go work somewhere else. You'll be on else. a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be scoring something else. Uh, you know, um, but I mean, you, you, the, as far as like making money on the record business, that's that's not going to happen. Uh, but you can. There are, there are people who are doing independent films and you've got a good chance of getting it if you you know, help them if you, um, sometimes you just offer to write some demos for them. You know, I'll write you three scenes for free and mm-hmm. write three scenes. And so what's the worst thing that can happen? They, 
a why how can they say no if you're going to say i'll write them for free yeah if you don't mm-hmm. like them then you don't like them and then you got three pieces that you could maybe uh use as demos right and the other thing the other thing now these days i always say to them you know let's say you got you want to do an action film you know you want to work on your action chops you know take a video of some action movie that you already know that's a hit you know uh one of these marvel movies Mm -hmm. whatever you know take a scene there shut all the sound off and then write music to that and then put it together and 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 you can show what you're doing Uh, do a horror Mm -hmm. film do a do a dramatic scene do you know any anything that you can write to so they get an idea that you know how to write to uh a particular genre you know well so anyway all those those are those are pieces of advice that i would give i suppose i hope that's advice i I do not envy your profession because you know it just kind of seems like the the people that are giving you these this instruction they just want to get in the car and you got to take them there you know they give you vague directions and you just got to find your way and you know that's got to be such a creative i mean for me obviously no background in it whatsoever it's got to be kind of like a hurricane in your head kind of spinning around like all right what do they want how do i you know get there and this and that it, there are some people who make make it uncomfortable there are other people who are you know they respect you you have to respect this here comes another story okay <laughs> and I, and i learned and i this is how you stand sometimes if you just stand around you can learn stuff mm-hmm. you know when i first moved to la uh I got invited to a scoring session uh, by one of the music editor, a friend of mine, and a guy named Alan Ferguson was the composer, one of my idols, by the way. Wow. Very good, very good composer. And it was a show called uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, I think it was, a TV series. Anyway, and everybody in the booth is going like, Oh, let's get this done before the producer gets here because he's such a pain in the ass, you know, <laughs> and, and everybody's going, all right. Okay. So, going. so anyway, Alan wrote some just wonderful music and stuff. And sure enough, this producer comes in and they play, you know, they record this one cue and a producer hits the button, stop, you know, and he goes, stop. And he goes, goes out and he talks, you know, he says, Alan, he goes, I thought this was going to be funny. This isn't funny. It's not funny. You know, and everybody in the booth is going like, oh, here we go again, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm going like, well, it's not, it really wasn't that funny. You know, it was, it was okay, but it wasn't funny. (laughs) So Alan goes, okay, you know, you know, right after the break, I'll, uh, I'll fix it. Okay. So the guy goes back in the booth. You know, everybody goes on break. He comes back, and he took what was two French horns. It was like a little duet with two French horns. You know, and there was an orchestra and everything, but the, the, the melody was being played by two French horns. He just took the two French horn parts and put them in two bassoons. Okay, mm. the co- the clown of the orchestra, the bassoon. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. and he and he just put it into two bassoons, and all at once it was funny. <laughs> and all at once the the producer comes out and he goes, "Perfect, that's funny." 
you know, and then, and at that point I said to myself, you see, this guy is a producer. He doesn't Mm -hmm. know jack shit about music, but Mm -hmm. he knew it wasn't funny. And you don't get to be a producer of a show. (laughs) You know, you don't get to have millions of dollars to spend. If some guy has made a movie and they just spent, you know, $10 million, let's say, making this film, you know, I have to say, somebody gave this guy $10 million because he knows what he's doing and he's got an idea of what he wants. <laughs> I have to respect that. <clears throat> and Alan and Alan just said, no problem, I can fix that, boom, and immediately made the change and it worked. And I said, you, you have to understand that somebody who's in charge, they didn't just, you know, walk in off the street. This guy has produced a lot of TV shows. And he has, and he does have an idea of what he wants. He may not be, he may not be able to say, "Oh, make that two bassoons," you know. Yeah. But he 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 knew it wasn't funny, you know. And so, I mean, that's when I'm on a film. I mean, obviously, there are people. I I've walked off of films after after writing some stuff, and I just go, "I'm sorry. I I don't think you and I are on the same." page Mm. and and I've had that happen and I've had other guys just go hey look do what you want we'll sit and talk about it but anytime you want to talk about it let me hear what you're doing you know or or I'll just hear it when you're done we'll go through the whole thing and then and I'll have some notes and then and I make the changes or whatever the notes are and we will discuss and it, 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 it you have to understand like I say somebody is not making a movie with absolutely no talent or no judgment mm-hmm. or no feelings. They, 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 they are, you know, they're, they're, they're there for a reason. You know, they're not just, uh, you know, they're not trying to be a pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> even though it comes you off know, that way. <laughs> you know, but most even if it know. comes off that way, but, you know, it, but they're not trying. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, so, but that's, you know, that, but again, what happens also is that typically you, you work for someone and then you work for somebody else and then you work for them again. And then, and that leads to somebody else. And, and usually your, your persona and their persona sort of goes with you. So they know, they know what, uh, what, the, what you're buying. I mean, uh, I, I do a lecture about one one of the things is like ten mistakes you make uh, in hiring a composer, and one of them is that I said you're probably both too young to. Do you remember who Hal Needham is? You know who Hal Needham is? I do. No, I don't. Eh, I knew I'd get you. <laughs> okay. um, Hal Needham was was a stunt. Um, a stunt man, a stunt coordinator, a first-rate stunt uh, uh, person, and then eventually became a director and was direct directed a lot of the Smokey. I think he did the Smokey and the Bandit ones and anything that had to do with cars and stuff. He invented all kinds of uh, uh, paraphernalia, I believe, uh, for shooting uh, movies like with the uh, camera that flies outside the uh, side of the 
truck, mm-hmm. you know, and you could get that angle shot and all these things. Anyway, he's, that was, that was his bag, you know? So, I mean, in my lecture, I say you wouldn't hire Hal Needham to direct King Lear, you know, mm-hmm. because it's just wrong. I mean, you wouldn't hire, you know, um, a reggae band to score a drama, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hire a reggae composer, you know, to write the score to, you know, uh, a horror film, you know, unless it was some sort of reggae, unless it was some sort of reggae (laughs) thing involved (laughs) in the story. Yeah, reggae horror. Yeah. Okay, man. There might be room for that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm about I'm about to do my very first and I'm all excited even though it's it's a it's a low budget horror film film uh, for a friend of mine who, who who sent me the script and I went, "Oh my god, I want to do this." He goes, "You want to score this?" I go, "Yes, I want to score it." He goes, "I said, do you have any money at all?" He goes, "Yeah, I got some." I said, okay, I want it. And it's 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 going to be a hair metal, heavy metal uh horror score. Oh wow. That's I'm all exci- I'm all excited. I'm all excited. Are you able to give the name of that or not yet? Because that's something I would love the name, to hear. The, oh, it's hysterical. I mean I have no idea right now. It's still in the script. The script the, the script is funny. Are you ready for the title? Okay. Yes. Vinyl Redemption. Uh, ah, I like that. Yeah, vinyl instead of final yeah. vinyl redemption. Right. That is, I good. like that. Uh, it's a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool story. I mean, it's going to be you know bottom basement, uh, uh, you know budget. But I'm just kind of like, oh man, I want to try to do that. That's something I've always wanted. I never got a script where that actually could happen because it it's about it's about uh, metal bands and uh, you know uh, the devil and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, but it's pretty cool. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. You uh, do have a lot of films under your belt, you know, over a hundred, which is really impressive. Is there any horror film that you haven't scored that you'd like to, or like oh, a like an older film that you wish you could have, or you know anything of that nature? Hmm, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to do a, 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 I don't know, they're not really horror films. They're like more thrillers, I guess. I mean. Well, those count too. I count those. (laughs) I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to think of, you know, certain thrillers that I think that I've seen that I go, gee, I wish. Wish I had a shot at that one, or uh, you know, I think I, I think I could have could have done that one, done something interesting there. Uh, I don't know. There's, I, I think that there are there's probably one, but I can't think of any. But no, I, I like doing thrillers uh, a lot. They're more. They're actually a little more fun. They're because they're more drama and less. Some horror films get pretty predictable. This this vinyl one is not not very predictable. It's uh, you don't really realize what happened until the until the end. So it's pretty cool. Most newer horror movies kind of 
do that to me where it's kind of like I'm sitting there going through the motions and, you know, everything's set up on a tee for everything to happen. And that's kind of my, my right. issue with the, the new cardboard, ones. cardboard, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. they're all, they're only there to be killed. Yep. Yep. But I do have <laughs> a, a question to put you on the hot seat a little bit on the hot seat. Hot seat. <laughs> I, I have a two part question and one's hotter than the other. The first one being, are you able to pick your favorite score that you've done? And what's your favorite Friday the 13th movie? Oh, Jay. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my favorite score that I've done is whichever one I just finished. Um, no, uh, no I, I don't know. You know, like I, I, I said earlier, um, each one of these movies has something about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the reasons. I mean, we you you um, April just mentioned the uh, um, uh, choker, which I mean, I, I that that movie came and when you said it, it totally came out of the blue. And I mean, I, I really like that score a lot. And but at the same time, I love House One and House Two, mm-hmm. and I like. Uh, I love my score to Time Master, and I love the score to uh, Wishmaster, and I love, you know, each one of them I find something in it. I mean, I try to put something in it that I really like. There's probably two or three cues in almost every film I've done, even, you know, obscure things that maybe never even saw the light of day. Uh uh, that, that I just really liked what I did, how I pulled that off. So uh, I, I, I don't, I can't really say that there's, there's a favorite. I, I always, I, I like the answer to one I just finished. No, that is a good but, one. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, of the Friday movies, you know, I, I would have to, I would have to go with uh, one because it's the one that caused everything to happen. And it was, that was pure, you know, that was pure coming up with something from absolutely nothing. Whereas all the other ones, all the other ones, like I said, are versions of Friday the 13th. If I had to pick the best scores from those other ones, I would say six is, is a really good one. And I'm oddly enough, I'm a big fan of Jason X. People don't like Jason Me X. Me too. I like Jason X. <laughs> and I like, uh, I mean, I even like Nine, even though a lot of people don't like the movie. And I like uh, a Four, which was, uh, that was Joe Zito's, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that score. But, you know, I think score wise, Six was really good. Uh, re- remind me, six is the one. Six is the one where they Jason, Jason comes back to life where he stabs him in the uh, in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason in the graveyard. Lives. Yeah, that that one is, I think is probably my favorite. Uh, you know, my one of my best effort score wise. Is that your favorite and, uh, movie of the franchise? Also, just like you know. No, 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 no. no the first one. Okay. The first one is my favorite movie. Uh, but uh, maybe 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 six after that. I also like two. Yeah, I really like you know, two. I mean, you know, 
I like two. I like I like them all. They're they're there's like I said, there's something in all of them that are kind of fun. I mean, three if you can see it in three D is really cool. That was so before um, its time too, when when that was going on. Yeah, but the best thing about uh, three uh, was that. It was actually shot. I mean, like, there's been a lot of 3D movies that they didn't real. They they just turned it into a 3D movie, whereas mm-hmm. that was actually shot with the idea of it's going to be in 3D. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like I mean, not only the kills and the eyeballs flying in your face and stuff <laughs> like, and all that stuff, but I mean, even like just the sheets at the beginning of the movie that are blowing in the wind, mm-hmm. you know, that are mm-hmm. blowing out onto the screen. And then the, the there was one really great depth of field shot that where they're in a room and they open the doors to this room on the back wall and all at once it goes way deep. Like you can see all the way, like down to three other rooms and stuff. I mean, they, that's, that's stuff that, uh, Steve, uh, the director, Steve minor, uh, had that visual idea. I'm going to cause 3d things to happen above and beyond the plot and the kills and stuff like that. It was always shot with the idea that it's in 3D, uh, which, you know, that, that I, I really enjoyed about that. Um, huh. the, and what was the other one? What was the second one? Or is that both no, of them? No, you got both of them. Yeah, yeah. It was both of them. Okay. Yeah. Well, it wasn't so hot. What's <laughs> too bad. I have one more hot seat question for uh, you, though, Harry. Uh, I don't know about this one. I have with some, a little bit. <laughs> here, comes, here comes April with some obscure <laughs> film or something. No, no. <laughs> it's a running thing that we have oh, on the God. show. Um, um, I'm a big Texas Chainsaw Leatherface fan, and Bones is a Leprechaun fan, and he turned it into a fight sort of thing i won't go into all of that so anybody that we have on the show we always ask them who do you like better leatherface or leprechaun oh yeah yeah <laughs> okay what a ridiculous question right <laughs> well, you're, you're, what, what's what's really funny is you're going uh you're go, you're asking someone now you, you both better sit down okay Uh-oh. oh oh no, no don't say it <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Number one is I'm really not that big of a horror film fan. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm, I'm good at horror films, mm-hmm. probably because they scare the hell out of me. Okay. <laughs> and I'm I'm the perfect I'm the perfect victim <laughs> of a horror film. You know I am. You know I understand that, but there are. Who wrote the music to Leprechaun? Is that Joe Renzetti? Um, uh, I'm not sure. And uh, I know one guy who worked on Texas Chainsaw. See, here's the thing. Are you both sitting down? I'm yes. sitting. <laughs> okay, I have never seen Leprechaun or Texas Chainsaw. Any oh, of them. okay. Wow. Okay, so I, I wouldn't know. I know that there's this guy, Leatherface, and I can tell you that one of the nicest people I ever met at a convention was Gunnar uh, Hansen. Mm-hmm. And, and so for the fact that I met Gunnar Hansen, I will pick Texas Chainsaw. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Damn it. Based on, based, on, based on that, I think Gunnar Hansen was 
an absolute wonder. What a cool guy. And, uh, I, I never met anybody on, uh, Leprechaun. I never, but I never saw either one of those. Movies. Don't do it. I don't really, I don't really go to horror films that much. Could I sway your vote by saying that I am losing drastically <laughs> in this debate? No, no. <laughs> well, well no. Leprechaun is, Leprechaun's a little bit of an obscure film compared to Texas Chainsaw. It's not right. really fair. Yeah. It, it's, that's uh... like saying, you know, that's like saying, what's your favorite movie? Uh, uh, Citizen Kane or Porky's Part 3? <laughs> you know, you know. Well, see, he turned it into that. You know, he knows that I'm a Leatherface fan and he turned it into a versus thing. And so that's where we're at. So it's his own fault. You know, but kind of but Porky's, part, Porky's Part 3 had a lot going for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, the, uh, you know the, uh, the joke, uh, again, once again, you're both probably too young to remember this, but do you remember colorization? when Ted Turner was colorizing all the classic movies. Yeah. I do remember the, uh, reading about that. You do remember mm -hmm. that. And April's going like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> right? Yep. Right. Okay. If you ever get a chance to see one of these, these movies, they're absolutely disgusting. <laughs> uh, but, but he took like Casablanca or any, any one of the great, you know, films or old films and he colorized them so that they were in color, but, mm. but they, but they just looked awful. It was just awful. And people just, you know, at, at some point everybody had had enough and, and they said, you know, you've got to stop doing this. You, <laughs> no one, no one wants to see this. They're just awful. You've, you've taken a, a piece of art and turned it into a piece of crap. <laughs> so, so the, the joke was that Ted Turner says, well, in that case, if in fact a movie is better in black and white than it is in color, I'm going to take Porky's part three and just, you know, turn it into a black and white film and it'll be way better. <laughs> I, I have looked up some of those and, and, and that's looking at them on an HD screen nowadays and uh -huh. god they, they even look bad on that oh my god they're awful everybody's face is exactly the same every every skin tone is exactly the same there's no there's no variegation in skin their clothes are all the same color i mean it's just oh my god it's awful it's just awful i can't i can't tell you how bad it is but anyway that was the joke was you could take a bad movie and turn it into a black and white film and it would be way better. <laughs> Although what was I, give me, give me one second. I'm trying to think of the movie. Oh, this was last. Yeah. I want to say it was around Christmas of last year. I think it was around Christmas of last year. I got invited to a dinner thing, uh, down, uh, on, Hollywood at a restaurant and we were, you know, we were eating and they, you know, they have TVs and stuff. And this is, this is on sunset. So it, it's show busy, you know, they were showing, um, oh, yo, yo, come on, Tom Cruise, you know, you can't handle the truth. Uh, oh, that one, yeah. you know, with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. A few good men. 
No, no, that's not it. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, that movie. They were showing it in black and white on in in this in this restaurant. And I'm going, you know what? This picture is is better in black and white. <laughs> A few good men, that's what it's called. Yeah, that is the name yeah, of it, it yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's called. Anyway, it's it actually is better in black and white. It was really cool. We were all I mean, everybody there was in the music, you know, we're in film business and we're and we're we're eating and stuff, and we're going like, Will you look at that? That looks really cool. You know, like the light, I mean, because black and white is difficult. The, the lighting and the uh, the the shades of gray and the, and hard hard to get a real black and hard to get a real white and mm-hmm. and, and all the colors. Uh, it's hard to get. It has it's tricky. But that thing looked really cool in black and white. I was like, wow, this actually looks better. I think. <laughs> so, anyway, boy. Can I can I ramble around around, around things or what? I, we Man, love all it. Over the we love it. We do have yes, uh, okay. we do have one more question. Uh, I know we've taken a lot of your time, but uh, one of our listeners did want us to ask you if um, you have any type of like a fan mail address to have you know send items like albums or whatever else they may have for autographs or do you is it mainly a convention thing? Well, I mean. Uh, it, you know, typically it's a convention thing, mm-hmm. but no, I do get, I mean, if you go to my website, which is eponymously named as Amber will tell you, <laughs> oddly enough, it's called Harry Manfredini.com. Ah. Um, and if you, you know, send me like, I mean, I just got a, believe it or not, I just got an album cover from, uh, China. Wow. That a guy wants me to sign it. You know, you get put an envelope in there to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for me to send it back. And it was all, yeah, no, I get that. I get, a, I get those all the time. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they can go there and, you know, shoot your request or something like that. Shoot me a request and say, uh, you know, you know, I have, you know, you know, you know, something that you can send in the mail. I mean, yeah. I, I'm telling you, I've signed some pretty strange things. But. <laughs> I've signed an oar one time. An oar? An oar. For a boat? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the guy came with an oar, and I'm like, would you sign this? And I'm going like, it's an oar. And he goes, yeah. And I'm going like, well, what has that got to do with anything? And he goes, well, on Friday the 13th, you know, she's in the boat. You know, it would be an oar, you know. I wonder so, who signed the oh, boat. Okay. He has to have a boat somewhere. I don't know. He probably he probably has a boat somewhere. You know, he wants me to sign that next. <laughs> I signed I signed a Pez dispenser. Oh, that's cool. Huh. That is kind of cool. That was cool. That was sort of cool. Wow. I'm trying to think of weird things that I've signed. I think that or tops the list though. <laughs> Or yeah, or was pretty, or was pretty cool because you know it was there was a whole line of people at at dark at this place called Dark Delicacies, which mm-hmm. if anybody like wanted to buy CDs, like obviously April has the mm-hmm. CD to uh, to choker, um, you can get them at the this place called Dark Delicacies. It's in Burbank. They they distribute everything. But there was a signing there, which there's going to be one this Friday. Um, and there were all these people in line. And there's this guy standing in line with an oar. And, and 
I didn't, I didn't realize that I was going to be signing the ore. That was a, <laughs> funny. But maybe he was, you know, lost his boat or something. I don't know. I don't know. Imagine how many people passed the line saying, look at that guy holding an oar. What the hell is he doing with that? guy with an oar. You know. <laughs> yeah. But, Mr. Manfredini, I mean, we, we can't thank you enough for hopping on with us. I mean, Well, thank you. It was fun. It was fun. And like I said, you, you guys gave me some questions that sort of uh, made me bounce around other things. So it was, more, it was way more fun, you know, instead of, uh, you know, the usual, uh, usual mm-hmm. questions. Very good. I really appreciate it. It April, really means April, a lot you to win. Me. You win with the choker reference, though. So that's <laughs> it. That's, that's a girl. Damn. <laughs> yeah. is so. forever gonna be jealous now. I am. I am. Right. <laughs> and you pick Leatherface. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> Take it up with Gunner. You know. <laughs> Thanks a lot, and I'll uh, hope I. If you ever guys ever get out here, you should you know run me down. Oh, without I'd a doubt, we'll to. be in touch for sure. That was one of my favorite episodes, honestly. It was his stories. Just like they kept compounding over, you know, the more we talked and got deeper as we went and it was good to see that side of him that probably a lot of people haven't gotten to see you know through uh other interviews and stuff like that so it was great to hear all that background info and and personal stories yeah man i mean that's the best kind where it's like harry was kind of getting into it towards the end where it's like question jot 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 and you know i don't know like emotionless kind of but when you can just sit back and have a conversation like we're talking on the phone nothing's being recorded that's when you get the best kind of kind of interaction and stories right Right. despite you being there especially with so much history too he's he's just he has stories for days you know with all the and it's not just one genre it's over several genres so that's what makes it so interesting yeah that was awesome man that was awesome i hope you guys enjoyed it we're we're just sitting here kind of like in awe right now <laughs> we're just soaking yes. it in soaking in the knowledge the vibranium of harry manfredini <laughs> on this friday the 13th like mm. you don't get a better friday the 13th special than that and hold on hold on hold on hold on, hmm. hold on. Hmm. there's not one other podcast out there not <laughs> one of you fucks that have the actual like from harry manfredini which is going in our intro and outro by the way because he's a man not one of you and he did it perfect like he it's like he had it recorded planned to play like just first take first cut boom nailed it well he's probably done it so many times over the years you know like uh, but uh that was really unexpected i didn't expect him to do it but once i heard it i was like oh my god it was kind of like the john kassir moment when he first did the you know the crypt keeper was like oh my god like the one thing you know that that you want to hear from him they um actually do and it was that's it another thing they don't got. Firsthand. That's another mm-hmm. thing they don't got. Crypt Keeper. Crypt Keeper, they don't, yes. got, they don't got that. Yep. Come on yep. now, dear boy. Yep. But yeah, when he did that, I peed a little. <laughs> when Harry did it, like, I was like, oh, God. Like, I, I don't know, you just, you're so programmed, and Harry did this to us, so programmed to hearing that sound and some shit going down. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just uh, growing up on these movies, like you know, I, we have, and everybody who's listening right now, I'm sure has. You know, like it's just programmed in your head that oh, you just get that, you get that oh. Right. And then, like, I'm glad he touched base on that because, um, you know, when you're kids and you're messing with your brother and sister to scare them, like I've done that to you know my siblings before, like because yeah. everybody knows that sound. So, um, but that's a perfect, yeah, it was perfect the way he set it up that. You have to know that the killer is there without knowing he is. You're seeing him, you know, and that was a perfect uh, setup for it. Shout out to my sister Topanga. I did that shit to her all the time. <laughs> Scared the shit out of her with that. <laughs> but man, yeah, we we had kind of a long one for you guys. Holy shit! But like, it never got boring. No, this guy was money throughout. Yeah, I mean, just just. John K. Seard uh, was another one like that. Tony Todd also. I mean, just like a ball of of just you just sit there and you soak it in. And like I know it probably sounds cliche or corny, but like that's really what I was doing. I was just sitting there taking it in. Like I didn't want him to stop talking. Right. We'd still be talking if we could, but um. Yeah. He was he was very nice to have done this with us this week and um. I'm so glad to have him as Friday the 13th special. Hell yeah, and not only the fact of that, but, like, let's be honest, you can really only take so much of dismay. <laughs> like, the fact that he made it this long, <laughs> the man deserves a Purple Heart That's or Mel. That's false, because in the episode, he <clears throat> says that he was my Is that a plane? Fan, so. Is that a plane? No, don't be trying to play There's the a plane. plane. No, don't. What'd you say? Spay! Don't. Oh, okay, I can hear you now. They'll hear it. They'll hear it themselves. <laughs> it's okay. I know you're jealous. You're jealous still. And they will also hear him pick Leatherface, by the way. That didn't count. It, didn't it count. did count. It did count. You didn't even feel bad for me. No, not I don't. I usually don't. Like, why would I start now? No, not you, him. Like, I tried to get a pity vote. Oh. He, didn't, he didn't give a fuck. <laughs> he wasn't trying to hear it. No, no, he didn't. That was, that was messed up. <laughs> but, I mean, it's all fair. I mean, I don't think it counts, but whatever. It counts. It counts. Whatever. Corner Pocket missed a good one, man. He sure did. His ass missed down a good in, one. in shitty old Texas. He's not in Texas anymore. You Yankee in, son, bitch! He's in shitty old New York right now. Let me see those pepperoni drawers, you Yankee son, bitch! <laughs> He's back in your stinky state. Uh, yeah. Yeah, by now. Uh, mm-hmm. 3.21 a.m. Eastern Time. I am <laughs> tired. And ready for bed. The last person I want to be talking to right now is Dismay. You, wow. you I mean, I wow. deserve a purple. When am I getting an award? Wow. You. you don't deserve any awards. I deserve a plaque and a no, statue. Let's, let's and... put Bones to sleep. Let's, you know, let's wrap this up so this yeah, please. baby boy can go to sleep. I'm fucking tired. Mm-hmm. Tired. <laughs> Where can they find you on Twitter, Bones? You can find me at Mikey's Dead on Twitter. And you can find Mike, um, Wait. well, Corner Pocket at Mike Mirando. And you can find me at Dismay00. Uh. <laughs> and you can find Bobby Spitzer uh. at Bobby Spitzer with two R's. Okay. Don't do it. No. Do it. Hold it in. <laughs> hold it. I already got through it. You have to hold it in. You have to hold it. I got through it quick on purpose so that you wouldn't be able to do it. You really are holding your breath this time. That's hilarious. <laughs> ah, damn it! Wow, I'll give you props for that. You were actually holding your breath that time. 
I wish you would have passed out, though. That would have been great. Let's be honest. I didn't stand a chance. It's late. That was coming out. <laughs> That's <laughs> I true. I mean, as long as I could. But yeah, you can find, find us uh, also at Slashing Radio on Twitter. Interact, guys. I mean, we've been getting a lot of interaction. It's great. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, we, we will sit and, you know, take the time and go back. Like, we love hearing what everybody thinks about different movies and different topics. And, like, we'll, we'll sit and go back and forth with you now. You know? Well, yeah. Bones doesn't like it when you, you know, call him out and stuff, like our friend Alfredo, who uh, Alfredo. always brings up the conjuring. So shout out to my ma'am, Alfredo uh, Mason. Alfredo's a little bit of a pain in the ass. <laughs> a little bit. You know, a little bit. A little bit. But no, I mean, I, I, I like debating stuff, man. Like, Alfredo and I, it's a good example. I mean... Had a nice, friendly debate about stuff, you know? He likes mm-hmm. what he likes, I like what I like, and you air it out, and you get the conversation going, and, you know, it's just really a lot of fun that it's something you can you can do uh, for, you know, a couple hours a day, on and off, you know? Like, go do something else, you're in the middle of work, or whatever the hell you're doing, and then you come back to it when you got a minute, and, you know, it's fun. Yep, 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 yep. Just don't come at me with no, with no leprechaun nonsense like just don't come at me send them all of the leather face gifs that you can find you're about to get blocked <laughs> you can fucking fuck around and get blocked doing that <laughs> he's grumpy we'll put him to sleep so yeah I that hope. wraps up our um friday the 13th harry manfredini special and uh bones you got anything else before we uh tuck you in no just um subscribe and rate us on like itunes and stitcher and it helps us out a lot so you know you guys can i'm sitting here sweating balls at three something in the morning the least you can do is hit that star all the way to the right you know what i'm saying (laughs) brother out but yeah just do that um come back and listen to us next week uh I don't know what we've got next week. But <laughs> we'll, we'll be announcing on Twitter. Keep up on the website, SlasherRadio.com. And good night from Slasher Radio. Oh, you want to hear my new ringtone? Oh, boy. What is it? Boss, right? Mm, yeah. Right? You don't have the Crypt Keeper in there? No. Oh. And this is my, uh, my text tone. Boss. <laughs> I wonder if they have a curb cube. Oh, that's, no, I can't have that as my no. ringtone, though. No. You mean ours? No. Yeah. Mm-mm. I think you should still, like, cut that snippet where he says, and you're listening to Slasher Radio, you know? Oh, for my ringtone? Oh, no. That would scare the shit out of me. Oh. I get woken up to that? <laughs> no. Oh, fuck, no. <laughs> It'll wake you up, though. It sure will. Scared shit out. I changed my sheets. <laughs>
<laughs> like I, my alarm. Like if my daughter opens a window or something, my alarm goes off. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So like that, and that ha- we were recording that that happened a couple of times. So the last thing I need is fucking four something in the morning. And I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. He's here. That. Why would it go off at four in the morning? Maybe she wake up and open a window. That one night we were recording. No, I'm saying your phone. Because ADT will call me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> That's that would be news. funny, though. <laughs> Hello, kitties. Like, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> You'd be so confused. I would like, shit turn off first? my pants. <laughs> I told you, too. The fucking Crypt Cubies scared the shit out of me, so... Maybe there's something, like, subconscious still inside me somewhere. I don't yeah. want to fuck around with that. 